0: On this week with JMO with Josh and Joe. I know what you're thinking right now, but don't adjust your audio settings because this is Joe that's talking and not Josh. And that is due to a absence with Josh this episode. So you get to listen to me because Josh is quote unquote feeling like ass. But we talk or I talk with you about College football week eleven. We go through obviously start off with the LSU game, and I make my case for a strong stance that I have. Uh, next, we move on to Oregon, USC. Um, how Oregon's kind of a well-oiled machine right now? Texas A&M, Mississippi State, which we are dubbing the fired coach game, and or fired coaches game. Uh, talk about the dominance of Georgia. Well, how Washington continues. Uh, moving on to Missouri and how Eli Drinkowitz, top name in the league right now. Uh, Michigan Penn State, even with the absence of John Jim Harbaugh, he, they do pr- uh, move on. Um, and other follow-up games with the college football. And then we move on to NFL Week 10, where not a great slate of games, but we did see some matchups that we will touch up on. Uh, a little bit of a somber note on the Saints front Uh, Vikings just kind of seem to have our number and then lastly we touch up on some NBA so let's get right to it all right let's rock and roll Welcome to JMO with Josh and Joe. Today is Wednesday, November 15th, and yes, I know what you're thinking. It's a different voice than the normal introduction that you to- typically get, and that's right. Today I'll be doing the podcast by myself, giving you a roundup of all the sport sporting nudes. Um, Josh is, as I quote, feels like ass tonight. So he will not be participating uh, due to an illness. Probably could have been a prime opportunity for him to have a Jordan, you know like performance on this podcast. But um, we'll have to discuss about that later and uh, you know, try to get him on the show next time. But yes, feels like ass. Um, I'm gonna try to do the show by myself. Uh, it's going to be quite a challenge, especially since I'm not the lead host, typically. I'm usually kind of more of the filling guy. And we both bounce our ideas off of each other, yada, 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 kind of the same spill he used to say, um, or he said earlier this season, whenever he did it by himself. But here we are. Um, this is actually how the show kind of originated. So for all the new listeners out there. We actually started by Josh doing recaps of our fantasy football league, kind of typically what we do, you know, now um, alongside this podcast episode each week. He was actually doing that to start it off and doing it by himself. And we just ran on. And I, honestly, I think it started for like 15 minutes and then he went to like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and like an hour. Like just, and we found out that real quick that. Both he and I can just talk sports all day long, just like, just like pretty much everybody, you know. You just want to talk sports. So, anyways, I, I digress. Let's get to the sports news. We will cover some uh, college football and NFL. Um, as we start off, we always start off with the college football, and Week Eleven uh, brought us, uh, you know quite a bit of failed two-point conversions that were kind of key in a lot of these matchups. So let's start off like we always do. LSU versus Florida. LSU went, gets the victory 52-35. to 35. And this is going to be my spiel, and I'm, I'm actually going to kind of do this on a lot of matchups, is I'm going to kind of maybe do a storyline other than the actual game. Because you, you get to that point where you start talking about the game but later on in the season, there's other storylines that come into play and you know with the other matchups we'll get to those. But for this one, it's JD5 for Heisman. And this is gonna be my this is gonna be my spiel. So ESPN did a wonderful job of putting on the broadcast of the three Heisman winners that have won the Heisman with three losses. Because as you all may know, Heisman winners Typically, we're the ones from the best player from the best team. It kind of, it kind of sucked. It kind of sucked. What was it? Two thousand and three, Jason White won the award because he was the quarterback of Oklahoma, who was the number one team, and then got stomped by LSU in the national championship game. Um, but really was not the greatest player in the country. I, I you could probably say Eli Eli Manning was at that time. He was uh, he went off that year. I don't think LSU would have had somebody that was maybe a Heisman candidate, but there was a couple other players that were worthy candidates. And Jason White, while he did have a prolific college career, didn't really have a good NFL career, and you know the rest is history on that. But so back to ESPN's prompt: three, uh, three Heisman winners with their teams having three losses. Lamar Jackson. RG3, and Tim Tebow. And honestly, those were just kind of recent memory. I would have to take a look back at all the Heisman winners to see if that was the case for all of them. But but yeah, those really kind of did change the actual way we looked at the Heisman. You know, it actually started really turning the tide about actually choosing the best player rather than just the best player on the best team. And Lamar Jackson was really, really key on this because everybody and their grandmothers knew that Lamar Jackson was the most explosive, most dynamic quarterback out there on, that year in 2016 when he won it. And, I, you know, it, it just like when him winning the award, we didn't even think anything of it. We just thought, you know what? He was most deserving. And that's my case for JD5. Because during this Florida game, he did something that was unprecedented—that no football player had ever done—was throw for 300 yards and rush for 300 yard or 200 yards as well. His stats were unbelievable: 17 of 26, 372 yards, three touchdowns. His rushing yards, uh, rushing stats were 12 carries, 234 yards, and two touchdowns. Unbelievable. And if you're looking for that like Heisman moment, he definitely had it in this game with his 85 yard scamper. I, I don't, I don't think I've seen since Lamar Jackson a quarterback with the wheels that just completely take off the entire defense. I mean, he he ran that thing from the line of scrimmage, eighty 85 yards, and he outran the entire defense. It was incredible. So, I think this was his. I mean, it was a thing of beauty. I think this was his Heisman Heisman game. He's got Georgia State, and he's got Texas A&M, who just fired their coach. We'll get to that later. I, I, He's definitely the most dynamic player in the league. You take Jaden Daniels off of LSU's offense, they are not the best offense in the league. They might be a pretty good offense. Obviously, Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. are definitely pretty good, but they complement each other in both ways. You know The receivers compliment Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels actually really compliments the receivers in a way because he's such a rushing threat that the defense always has to account for that. Um, I did pull up the stats for Lamar Jackson and J.D. 5. Basically, pretty similar. Uh, the only thing that's probably a knock on Jaden Daniels is that he's maybe not as explosive as a runner, which is a lot of times what the Heisman... Pollers kind of want to see. They want to see if if you're going to be labeled as a dual threat quarterback. You got to have like really dual threat numbers. And Lamar, 20 of 30, 409, 3,543 yards, 30 touchdowns, and nine interceptions. Passer rating 148.8. Now his rushing yards is what's the difference makers here. 1,500 yards, 1,571 to be exact. Six, six, um, uh, Yard per average, twenty one touchdowns. That's the big kicker right there. Is you'll have to probably focus on that number. Is the twenty one, uh, twenty one touchdowns. Now to date, JD five has is one of ninety, uh, one ninety five of two seventy three. That's a seventy one percentage, uh, for everybody keeping track on that one. Much better percentage passer completion uh, percentage than Lamar Jackson. He's got thirty one, uh, he's got three thousand one hundred sixty four yards. He's gonna surpass surpass Lamar Jackson easily. Thirty touchdowns already ties him. Four interceptions. I don't really see. I mean, knock on wood wherever wood is, but I don't see him surpassing you know nine interceptions there. Yeah, that's a two hundred and two point one uh, QB rating, and that's ratings according to College Football College of uh, our Football Reference. And this is probably the differentiator. So whereas. Lamar Jackson had over 1,500 yards. Jaden Daniels has 918 yards, 8 touchdowns, but he does have an 8.1 average per rush. So that puts in a little bit of perspective. Jaden Daniels, definitely a better passer. Lamar, definitely a better runner. Still amazing stats. And, and, and then if you have to put comparatively to Bo Nix and uh, Michael Penix. I mean Jaden Daniels stats blows him out the water. So that's my case. I rest my case for Jaden Daniels for Heisman. But other than that, uh, typical LSU game this week uh, you know uh, this year, all offense, no defense. you know let let Florida you know Graham Her- uh, Graham Mertz look like an actual Heisman winner, you know uh, It's just it's terrible. We got to get something going on on defense. But, anyways, you got anything else on that? Oh, no one's around? All right, cool. Let's go to the next game. All right, next game, Oregon uh, versus USC. Uh, Oregon 36, USC 27. Kind of typical fashion on what we've been seeing with USC. Uh, The question I have to bring, is USC contemplating a coaching change? As we will see, and have we already seen, is that there has been quite a bit of coaching changes going on right now. This seems to be the prime time to do it, I'm guessing because of the early signing period. Now that they've got the early signing period moved up to December, I'd have to imagine that's what's making and influencing these decisions on the coaches, which kind of sucks because, you know, it's basically teams just giving up in the middle of the year. But whatever. Um, so, I don't know. I'm going to pose that out there. Let me know what you think. Uh, and the other thing I had on this one, Caleb Williams, stock dropping. Uh, not a very good game. I, I believe he had like 213 yards uh, and one touchdown. I don't know. I, maybe his NFL stock's dropping a little bit. I highly doubt it. But if, he, if it's a lack of motivation, that's a little bit concerning. That's a character issue if it's defense is figuring out if are figuring him out that's also an issue i i i have no doubt in my mind if i'm putting money down i'm going to put money down on Caleb Williams being the number 1 pick i guess it does kind of depend on who is the number 1 pick though too because if the bears have it i don't see them going quarterback um if Justin Fields finish off the year really well i mean he's a talent too honestly i think they're both both as talented as each other, Justin Fields and Caleb Williams, maybe controversial. I don't know. Yell at me. But, at like, talent for talent, I think they're the same. I think Caleb Williams is a little bit, is definitely more refined as a passer than Justin Fields is. And But as far as doing the kind of, like, circus act each play, you know, where it's unscripted type of stuff... They kind of do the same thing. Anyways, that's my spiel on that. Um, let's move on to Oregon. Oregon was uh, is a well-oiled machine right now. Really, are impressing everybody as far as want to be on one of the best teams in the nation, um, along with Georgia. And uh, yeah, I got. I'm, I'm just kind of looking forward to a rematch with uh, Washington in the Pac-12 championship. So the Pac-12 got rid of. Their divisions, so they're just going off the top two teams, kind of a little standard that a lot of teams are, or some conferences are doing, the ACC are doing. But uh, for the last season, the last season of the Pac-12, since it's dying, farewell. it looks like they're going to be a. It's going to be a rematch of Washington and Oregon in the Pac-12. Very much would look forward, look forward to that. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Moving on, uh, Texas A&M beats Mississippi State 51-10, to and that was enough to fire Jimbo Fisher. Oddly enough, right? <laughs> I, it's weird. Um, college football is weird. But, no, it definitely felt like it was a ride into the sunset type of game after Captain Hindsight. It was all said and done. We figured out that actually Jimbo Fisher was getting fired the next day, but he had a meeting on Thursday discussing this. It almost appeared as if like Jimbo Fisher used that as a pregame speech, right? Like, come on. If he knew he was getting fired already, they were bragging. They were bragging about the donation, the hundred and sixty million dollar donation to the 12th Man Group. The boosters had collectively donated. I, I I have no doubt in my mind. Jimbo had that in his head, and he also used it in a pregame speech, like, "Hey guys, I'm leaving the team. I want you to hear from me first. We'll probably the news will probably break sometime next week. Let's let's ride this one out." And sure enough, uh, that led to a fifty-one ten game, which probably could be dubbed the fired coach game, because also Zach Arnett. What, got fired as well after this game. And I feel for I feel for Zach Arnett. I don't feel for Jimbo. I don't feel for him. I mean, the guy got paid. You have to perform to pay. You can't be the exact same as your predecessor with that type of salary. Anyways, I digress. But Zach Arnett, he just got landed, obviously in its shitty situation. Mike Leach, rest in peace, you know, he passes away unexpec- unexpectedly in the offseason. Obviously, it's way too late to actually try to do a coaching search process. So they go with Zach Arnett. It's just, it's it's a tough situation to handle. I mean, you already are against the odds coaching at a place like Mississippi State. But to actually come in with a completely different coaching style, um, and tried to implement a completely new plan, mid mid off season is really it's just an op- impossible task to ask of anybody. So I think it's I think it'll be good for both parties. I think it'll be good for Mississippi State. And I think it'll be really good for Zach Arnett And nothing's going to be taken against Zach Arnett for this season. Again, like I said, nearly impossible. Nearly impossible to do something like it's a Actually, just have a functioning season. But I did think I had saw some Instagram rumors, so you got to take it, you know, take it with a grain of salt, just fans talking, but pointing out maybe pulling Dan Mullen back. I kind of like the sound of that. Kind of like the sound of that. I don't know. But you're going to have to excuse me for a second. I'm going to take a drink break because I don't have a little idle time with josh not being here so ah that's the stuff anyways moving on next game georgia versus ole miss 52 to 17 georgia's being back to being scary again and i know we just passed up on halloween probably would have been great timing if we kind of did this during halloween time but they are spooky scary they are really, really, really good. I thought that the three Peat was going to be a little bit too hard, especially at the beginning of the year. Carson Beck wasn't really looking good as a passer, and I know that that's probably something that really you really have to have, especially come playoff time. But the three Peat looks real. It kind of feels real. You know, like I said earlier, Oregon and Georgia are kind of looking like the best teams right now. I mean, aside from Michigan, but Michigan's dealing with a lot of other adversity, which might actually help them out, but it's, they look good. You know, my big thing with Georgia is that they were kind of winning ugly early, but now it's just Carson Beck's winning ugly now because he's just an ugly dude. He's, you know, I, he's just an ugly dude. I'm sorry. Um, But the, hell, the man can play some fucking hell of football and will probably make some millions in the NFL, and then he can probably just do plastic surgery and fix up his face. But anyways, um, but, yeah, he had a good game, 18-25, 306 yards, two touchdowns and interceptions, also added 30 yards on the ground. Yeah, they are looking good, and the defense keeps being the stifling defense that... Kirby Smart and, you know, his predecessor, Nick Saban, has implemented time and time again. Jason D- Jackson Dart only had 112 yards passing, passing yards. Um, that's pretty crazy. But, yeah, um, Georgia beats up on Ole Miss, and I can't help but to think right now, given the circumstances, is Kiffin going to A&M? I just don't know. I mean, it feels like a petty thing that Lane Kiffin would do. And I feel like Lane Kiffin has an expiration date with any places that he goes. He just kind of either out, you know, outperformance is welcome or it just gets bored. You know? I, I don't know. Maybe not outperformance welcome, but overstays is welcome. You know what I'm saying? So... I'm going to throw that little butterfly out into the wind and see how far it flies. Or if, you know, some fucking blizzard. What is it? Uh, Camadil? I don't know what kind of lizard it is. Just say it in the comments. But anyways, Georgia 52, Ole Miss 17. Uh, moving on, Washington versus Utah. 35-28. Fantastic game, by the way. Don't know if anybody got the ch- uh but if you got a chance to actually watch this, very very entertaining game. <clears throat> Regardless of that the fact that Utah is still playing with their second third string quarterback, really really feisty team. I honestly would, <clears throat> Nick Same is probably going to win Coach of the Year because just he's doing a hell of a job. Um, Kalen DeBoer. Could probably win it at Washington, That's just because of the job he's doing. But Kyle Whittingham needs to get some credit for the job that he's doing, because his team is half depleted, and he is in games. He's in every game. If he didn't have like back to back interceptions towards the end, or no, not back to back interceptions, but one interception to seal it off at the end. I mean, they they were one drive away from actually tying this game up. Um the other things i had on this one uh, obviously the big <sighs> the big highlight or lowlight if you want to call it of this game was the the interception by afonso uh tupatala uh, one of those names um, yeah afonso the bo- bozo move uh fumbling it right before the end zone and i can't tell you like how many times on this show like you know you know he's listening to the show how many times on this show do we say just force gump the shit like just run past the end zone run to the locker room run to your mom watching it at tv at home with the football like just uh, hold the celebration it's it's unbelievable it's baffling it's just it frustrates me to death because you know one thing I would love to do I obviously didn't have the athletic ability to do but I would have loved to play college football and seeing people do stuff like boneheaded stuff like that I'm like I know I wouldn't have done that I I I would have at least not done that or maybe I would have you know who knows drunk joe's a whole another animal anyways um but bonehead and move, fumbling it right before the end zone. We see this time and time again. You know, just just run through the end zone. Just force gump it. Use it as your celebration. I don't know. It'd probably work. But I will say he did get bailed out by his defense. They had a defensive safety in the, um, the ensuing drive for Utah. So luckily for him, he didn't get completely chewed out by his um his coach, but probably pretty bad. Anyways, um, I'm really curious to see what Utah is returning next year. I'd have to take, do a little bit of deep dive research. I don't know if Cameron Risen's coming back. I, I'd have to imagine if he wasn't redshirted, they probably would redshirt him. They had the starting tight end if, um, if I don't know when or if he was coming back. But I'd love to see what they're going to do or what they have returning um, because they could be a dangerous team next year. So, that's all I have for that game. Um, moving on, uh, Missouri thirty six, Tennessee seven. If Eli Drinkwitz is not the hottest coaching name this offseason, college football is broken. I, I like if I'm Texas A and M and I'm their boosters, I'm making a hard push on him. I don't care if he's you know at a SEC school. I'm making a very hard push at him. Uh, it would be stupid not to. Also, at the same time, I also don't think he would be a complete fit because I kind of do agree with some of the commentators and the analysts talking about how you really need a Texas guy. But but Eli needs to be in some names. He needs to be in some names for some big-time head coaching jobs. Uh, otherwise, something's wrong. So, But going back to the game, walk-on Cody Schrader, absolute dog. Heart, heart. I meant to say probably better. He, he's an absolute heart. I mean, that's a maybe like a kind of a child um, and kind of a lame way to say it, but he is literally the heart and soul of this team. When you have a walk on that comes on and becomes a star of your team, it it, it becomes the heart of your team. I mean, we you know, we've seen it before at LSU with Josh Williams. Josh Williams came on as a walk on, made his way to as the starter. And was really the heart and soul of the team last year, and that's kind of the way you're seeing it with this this year with Cody Schrader. He's been fantastic. He had 35 carries, 205 yards, and touchdown. He also added on five receptions and 116 yards, over 300 yards total combined. You know, you watch these guys, and like I said, he, they're just they they play with so much heart and soul. But you do watch them, and they're not like overly impressive when you're watching them it's not like it's not like some sort of saquon Barkley move that she's just ridiculous or like Bijan Robinson just to catch it behind the back they're not usually doing like the athletic things like the overly athletic things it's more of the fact they just do like everything right they, the walk-ons always just do everything right if they if they have a starting job they're just doing all the little things right it's just everything they do right. And it's like, you watch him, and it's like, oh, here he goes. He doesn't look so impressive, but he's like, oh, he found the hole. He found the hole. Or he, you know, he's a solid possession receiver. He caught the pass. He doesn't He doesn't drop. It's just like they always do those little things right. But um, moving on to Tennessee, um, Joe Milton doesn't look like he was as advertised, um, which I mean, he was only really advertised as like a specimen, which he is an athletic specimen. And but as far as, you know, maybe just that it factor of, you know, to help him win games just hasn't really seen it. I do think he probably will still be drafted just strictly on his arm alone because that thing is just ginormous. He just can chuck it across the field and people and the NFL is going to be they're going to drool over that. Because there's tighter gaps that you have to get it into in the NFL, and I I can see him. I can't really see him being a a starter in the league, but I can see him being like a long term backup and a pretty good backup because he'll have the talent to to actually make some of those throws that you know a lot of QBs can't make. But um, but yeah, Tennessee is uh basically with this game basically writing off writing it off. Uh, they are looking forward to next year when they have Nico. Ian Maliba, I don't know, but that hype that hype is real. They are definitely Tennessee fans are definitely looking forward to him. One of the top quarterbacks. Um, he's a freshman this year. One of the top quarterbacks last year, class. He should be good. All right, moving on. A little drink break. Ah. all right, Michigan versus Penn State. Big game in the weekend. Top ten matchup. Um, another top ten matchup. Was Penn State top ten? I don't know. I don't have the numbers written down. Anyways, um, Michigan twenty four fifteen. Uh, Penn State fifteen. <sighs> James Franklin, you can't stop. He can't. You can't continue to lose the big game. I mean, this was this was a matchup that you had to win. Now, it was at Penn State. Um. <sighs> Another top 10 matchup. You've got to get one of these. And, I mean, Penn State's going to be left with a decision if this is going to be a continued case. You know, do you continue on with these 9-game, 10-game win seasons with Jane Franklin with the hopes of maybe just kind of breaking through one of these times? Or do do you move on? Um... I, you know, it, it, time will tell what they want to do, and I don't, I don't think this is an easy. I don't think that's an easy choice either, because we've seen time and time again of like teams that had consistent coaches that decided to move on with them and didn't get better. Now, obviously, Georgia's the case where they actually did have that same scenario with Mark Rick. Mark Rick really never won anything at Georgia. Then they moved on with him and got Kirby Smart. Um, I think that's the situation you have to do with Penn State. You got to stay with James Franklin until you find an excellent coach that's going to come in and be able to improve your program. You just kind of wait around until you find that perfect opportunity, uh, that opportune moment, as Captain Jack Sparrow would say. But yeah, no, this was um uh, also going on to Penn State. Uh, Drew Allar, 11-22, um, uh, 70, 70 yards. He's got some growing up to do. But, actually, that leads me to ex- our passing stats for this game. I, I got very confused if this was maybe an Iowa game. Uh, because J.J. McCarthy was 7-8, 60 yards. And Drew Allar was 10-22, 70 yards. So there was not a 100-yard pass. Uh, thrower for this game. Basically 13, 130 yards total and one touchdown combined. Like that's, <laughs> that's an Iowa game. If I've seen it, right? Anyways, maybe I'm just talking to myself. Quite frankly, I am talking to myself, but, um, the other thing, other kind of highlights that came out of this game, uh, Blake Quorum got busted up and, uh, blood everywhere. He left, basically left it all on the field, on the field no, no holding back. Uh, they played, obviously, for Jim Harbaugh, who was suspended for this game. Um, Sharon Moore, the offense coordinator and line coach, uh, had a very emotional press conference. Um, my biggest thing was just was like I was watching it, watching it live, you know. So it just kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't even see the highlights on it. I mean, I saw the highlights later on, but I actually saw it live first. And I just felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. I, I it reminded me of, like, an Always Sunny episode whenever Dennis was just crying on, you know, on command, and, like, before he even got to his own, his point, <laughs> I don't know, I just kind of felt like that was the situation with, um, with Sheree Moore, like, look, I get it, like, I get it. it's an emotional time, um, you know, like, emotions are running high because of the situation going on and the kind of controversy behind it, but, Hey, you still got quite a few more games. This wasn't like a national championship game. It was a big game. Don't get me wrong, but to completely lose your words. I mean, the guy left. The guy left during mid mid press conference um, interview. I don't know. And look, I appreciate. I applaud. I do applaud the emotion and the passion that he brought. But I just I don't know. I thought it was. I thought it was a little off putting anyways all right moving on um we like to talk about Tulane obviously um if you've been listening to the show small town school in the uh around Louisiana been doing really really good so Tulane actually beat up on Tulsa 22 24 to 22 I wouldn't say actually beat up very close game uh I think Tulane's kind of playing with a little fire here with all these close matchups um and i like I said earlier to the school um uh, in the show, this was a game where Tulsa actually had a failed two point conversion, which actually led to this victory. so this was one instance there's a couple other instances too that um were failed two point conversions. I don't even know if maybe that did I get someone or pass it up no, I didn't get I didn't pass one up yeah. So, yeah, that was the first of our games. That was a failed two-point conversion. Uh, Little Makai Hughes tracker. He had the sixth straight game with 100 yards. Um, I actually took a look to see the rushing leaders in the college football. I kind of wanted to see if he was in the top 10. He's 16, but Makai Hughes Hughes was actually not the starter and actually did get hurt um, at the beginning of the season. So... He honestly is. I, I I would love to see the stats from the past six weeks when he's been six straight over uh, games over a hundred yards to see what his ranking is rankings is during that span. But yeah, absolutely beast. Tulane wins this twenty four to t- uh, twenty two against H- Tulsa. Probably should win it a little bit more, bigger spread. Stop giving their fans a heart attack. But anyways, all right. Uh, the other game I wanted to, we wanted to talk about is Oklahoma State and USC or. Sorry, UCF. Um, yeah. Uh, UCF beats Oklahoma State forty-five to three. Yeah, I will repeat that because I know you thought that was uh pretty crazy. USC, uh UCF bought uh, beat Oklahoma State forty-five to three. I keep botching this. So it seems like Oklahoma State has two ways of doing two options this year. One. They either get up and win big games like Oklahoma and Kansas, or two, they get blown out by teams. They, they have no business, no business of doing that to Oklahoma State. South Alabama, go Jags, south in your mouth, and UCF in this game. Like, basically the strategy is, is hold Ollie Gordon to 12 carries and 25 yards. If you can hold Ollie Gordon, uh, Gordon the third to that amount, you're going to probably beat Oklahoma State. All right. Um, moving on. Um, that was the last of what we wanted to take care of for college football. So we'll move on to NFL week 10. And this is a little bit of a somber start, obviously, when the Saints lose. But I. I I hate to say it, but the Vikings just have our number. Eh, like, how? I, mean, I know how. It's probably still revenge from whenever we actually beat them in the playoff game to go to the Super Bowl uh, when they had Brett Favre, and that was basically their last chance, yada, 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 one, wine Crimea River. But yeah, they, the Vikings have definitely had the Saints' number ever since then. They had the Minnesota Miracle with Stefan Diggs, and I don't like to really bring up. And then they just kind of beaten us throughout the years. So I'm really tired of it. I'm really tired of it. And I, you know what? I'm speaking on behalf of Josh. I, just, I feel like Josh would just go on a rant right now about something like that. But it, it, the Vikings just have our number. I, I I can't understand why our defense is like really, really good, but at the same time makes Josh Dobbs look like an absolute, you know, past the stars or you no. Know, uh not uh, it's I mean he was 23 34 268 yards and a touchdown uh, I mean that maybe wasn't as crazy as the craziest of stats but at the same time really helped him to a victory here uh, we did get to see Jameis Jameis Winston uh, unfortunately that was due to a injury to Derek Carr but Jameis Winston came in in J- famous Jameis fashion Two touchdowns and two interceptions. Um, Basically about 50% completion and 112 yards. So throws it down the field, but also will give it away and score some touchdowns. Very confusing, but that's the James way. This game was definitely not a good game um, as far as from an injury standpoint. (sighs) We had Marcus Lattimore, Michael Thomas, Derek Carr all basically got out with an injury during this game, so you can kind of account that to that. But I will say, that is the con. The pro to look at it, we have a bye week next week. So probably the bye week couldn't have come at a more perfect time. Hopefully that we can have some of those guys get rested and they can come back for the next game. But I... I don't know what to do with the Saints game. Uh Saints team. I mean, obviously Vikings just have our number, so that's just kinda of pathetic. But at the same time, they go into this frustrating, stagnant offense type of game where, you know, it's everything's predictable and the defense just, you know, gives up whatever they want to a backup QB. Who probably still doesn't even know the full play. Well actually he probably does by now. I know it's only been one week, but the man's uh, the man's an astrophysicist, I think, something like that, something with um, something with NASA. Actually, fun story. I have a guy, buddy of mine, went to high school with. He actually works at NASA, and during the summer when Josh Dobbs actually had his internship with NASA, he was working with my high school friend so shout out to shout out to him for you know getting to meet Josh Dobbs and um you know having a fun time but all right anyways uh let's move on from this game definitely want to move on from this game move far far away from it uh going to the Cardinals Cardinals versus the Falcons because we love on a brighter note to see the Falcons lose being a diehard Saints fan who that. So the Cardinals beat the Falcons 25-23, and Kyler Murray's back. Kyler Murray is back. And it's surprising to see that he's back on the same weekend that Modern Warfare 3 got released. But maybe that's what they need to do. They just need to hold Kyler Murray out for the first half of the season. And then regardless of when the new Call of Duty gets released, he's going to be so deprived of football that he's gonna really want to play and really do well out there, because most of the time he actually plays really, really well at the beginning of the season, and then when Call of Duty comes out, he doesn't do he doesn't play as well. Obviously, maybe just gets bored of football and just wants to play, you know, video games. I don't know, but uh, yeah, wasn't distracted this time around. Um, kind of got ahead of Vintage Kylo Murray. There was basically. Uh, Towards the end of the game to the last game winning drive, he had I believe it was third down, might have been a second down play where he had vintage Tyler Murray just running around, you know, holding the football with like a loaf of bread and looking like a little Tyler toddler running around among the bent guys, but squirming his way for a first down. Pretty pretty impressive. Uh, good to see him in full swing. Uh, this one had another failed two-point conversion by the Falcons, so keeping track, that's number two, um, and unfortunately for the Falcons, Heineke uh, went out for with an injury, I, I don't know how much it makes a, too much of a difference, I mean, Desmond Ritter came back in, I, I haven't seen too much of a difference with Ritter and Heineke, I feel like Arthur Smith has kind of tamed Heineke, Taylor Heineke down, so... They almost look duplicate now, Desmond Ritter and T- Taylor Heineke. I don't know. I felt like he did a lot more Brett Favre things when he was at the Washington Commanders. Whereas now, he just seems a little bit more tame. I don't know. Just my opinion. Just like the show. <laughs> Why don't you come back for more? Anyways, I'm going to stop being stupid. All right. Well, Cardinals beat the Falcons 25-23. to 23. Sip break. All right, moving on to one of the better games this week, Texans versus the Bengals. So the Texans got the best best of the Bengals, 30-27. to 27. The big talk, obviously, here is C.J. Stroud. Let's, let's address the elephant in the room, per se. So C.J. Stroud, and rightfully so, is getting a lot of hype. But I'm gonna I'm gonna zig while everybody zags on this and say that I'm a CJ Stroud cautionary. Er, is that a word? Probably not. But you know what? This is an unprofessional, so so we're gonna make unprofessional words. A cautionary, and in that sense, since I made up a word, I'm probably gonna have to de- describe it to you is that I'm not going to buy into the pre, or to the MVP talk right now. I'm just, I, I'm not. I'm sorry. Like, yes, he is the leading passer in the league. I get it. But I haven't seen enough of this on a consistent basis. And you can, yeah, you can yell at me all you want and say, oh, yeah, we've seen this for two straight weeks. Also, rem- let me remind you that, CJ Stroud was written for written off as dead in the preseason. I mean am I am I wrong? Like during the preseason like everybody hated CJ Stroud. Like oh, he just can't read the defense as well. Uh you know, his his IQ score or whatever the wonderlick test was, you know, right? He doesn't have it up there. A lot of people wrote him off and I mean, he did have that performance. Now, granted, obviously, people can grow. People can uh, progress. They can actually, you know, once they learn a system, they are actually a little bit better. So I'm not saying, like I said, I'm being a cautionary guy on this because I'm not saying that he can't be the MVP right now. But let's slow down the hype train real quick. Let's just kind of like go take it week by week. And say, hey, yes, yes, he's doing really, really well. But also, defenses will figure him out. And how he adapts to that. Because, and and like, you know, people might be like, oh no, he's going to, you know, he can get past all defense. Trust me, NFL defenses will figure you out. They'll figure out exactly what you do on a consistent basis. These guys are pros. These guys are pros. There's there's a reason why, too, that there's not as many prevalent elite quarterbacks in the league as there was, let's say, early 2000s, maybe mid-2000s, or early 2010s, is that defenses are very, very good, and they've been adapting with their personnel, type of players that they're drafting, and their schemes, they will pick up on everything that a quarterback does and their tendencies. So my big thing is, is I'm not saying I, I know C.J. Stroud's got the talent. We talked about how he had the ta- most talented arm in the NFL Combine. If you wanted to go check and see, we have recorded mess or recorded podcasts stating this. I know he's a talent, and I know he's doing really, really hot. And I know he can still do really, really hot, but I want to see how he makes those adjustments. I want to see how he makes those adjustments when the defenses start making adjustments on him. And then that'll be the telltale sign. I think the excuse a lot of people will give him right now is that he doesn't have wide receivers. And I kind of have to agree right now, I don't think he actually does have wide receivers. Name me a person who actually drafted or... Knew about Nico Collins, Tank Dell, and Noah Brown. Obviously, Noah Brown was from the Cowboys last year. He had maybe some good games, but I don't guarantee you most people didn't know he was at the Houston Texans. Tank Dell, yeah, obviously he was maybe just like a good athletic person coming out. He gets he has the product of being a rookie everybody over knows about the rookies and tries to get the inside information on as far as from a fantasy perspective, but no one knew that Nico Collins was going to be the number one wide receiver on this team and really do what he was doing this year. He's not, It's not like he's like a number one draft pick or in the first round draft pick. He just, he's a beneficiary of what CJ Stroud's been doing lately. So anyways, um, a couple of different things. Uh, Yes, another reason why I'm a cautionary uh, person for C.J. Stroud right now is that that third down, third and two, was a bad, bad interception. Basically, could have sealed the game by just either completing the pass or he could have made it a lot harder for the Bengals to come back if he had to punt the ball and they had to drive the entire field. So... One little bit bad mistake. Then the other thing is is uh I mean Boyd if Boyd doesn't drop that touchdown, CJ Stroud's gonna have to be have to come back for a game winning touchdown. So like I said, I know the hype is real. I know the hype is is somewhat warranted. Just be caution about it. Just my opinion. All right. Uh, moving on to the next game: Browns uh, 33, Ravens 31, and what was such a surprising, such a surprising game? I mean, not really. It's it's an AFC North matchup. Like anything can happen. That's that's the AFC North. If if you looked up in the dictionary, that's what the that's what the description would be. That's what the definition would be. Anything can happen. Um, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel bad for the Browns fans. I mean, you you get yourself a big emotional victory like this, and I kind of refer this exactly to like South Park, an episode the episode of South Park when I feel like it's either Kyle or Stan was, um, no, it was it was Stan. Stan was depositing his money into the bank. And the teller is talking about everything that he's doing with his money and that he was going to invest it, in. and then he goes, and it's gone. And just you know, Stan's like, "What?" And the teller's like, "Oh yeah, no, we, your money's gone." And that's kind of what I felt like with this. It was like, it was like Deshaun Watson is back to his old self ever since the greatest game that since being of Browns, and he's gone for the season. <laughs> i just i feel bad but that's exactly what it seemed like it's just you know 20 to 34 213 yards touchdown maybe and an and an interception but uh, and he's gone so it really kind of sucks there um i feel bad for browns they'll uh they'll have to rely on dtr dorian thompson robinson for the rest of the year uh where's the josh dobbs when you need him that's a knee slapper anyways um, other parts of this game Kyle Hamilton had a a Honey Badger pick 6 on this one that was quite incredible Um, and if you don't know what I'm referring to Tyron Matthew had a pick 6 against West Virginia where he basically jumped a screen pass tipped it with one hand caught it and then ran it in for a touchdown Uh, that was the exact same thing Kyle Hamilton did which is crazy, because we all knew Colin Hamilton was one of the best safeties coming out of his draft class. And then he got drafted to Baltimore, which is like the rich getting richer. Whatever. Frustrating. I know. Uh, other highlights of this game, Jerome Ford had a good game. I, I can't help myself but to think that Keaton Mitchell, Jerome Ford, and Devon A-Chain are like basically replicas of each other. They're basically clones. They're all just speedsters. Do a straight line speed. Chris Johnson would be proud, like just up and down, one cut sprinters. But um, yeah, got a little bit uh, got a little dicey, especially whenever Browns had a chance to tie it. Uh, the PAT was no good for the Browns, but Dustin Hopkins does actually. Is it Dustin Hopkins? I feel like that's the actor's name. Oh, Dustin Hoffman never mind anyways uh Dustin Hopkins redeems himself with a 41 or uh, 40 yard game winner that um yeah that goes in wins the game nice win nice win for the uh the Browns there but uh the other thing we want to highlight up on is the uh the primetime matchups were kind of shitty uh the Panthers and the Bears uh Bears beat the Panthers 1613 that was a terrible game uh, also, the Jets versus the Raiders, 16-12, to almost identical games. Um, that was a terrible game on Sunday night. Um, but I will say, the the Broncos and the Bills made it up in a way. The Bills kind of just shot themselves. I mean, you can't give up that pass interference, which was close. I will say, it was close. It leaves it up to de- for debate on the internet. You know, on social media platforms, but it was close. He was kind of turning around. And then, Will Lutz actually does miss the field goal, but they had 12 men on the field. <sighs> Just crazy, crazy stuff. Um, basically, Bill's giving, giving Broncos the, uh, the game. But let's give it up to the Broncos. The Broncos are kind of coming back a little bit. I, I will say, most people wrote the Broncos off for dead whenever they gave up 70 points. And, um, hey, they're hanging in there now. So, fuck you, Sean Payton. Anyways, all right, do you have anything else? No? Okay. All right, moving on. Um, we want to talk about a little bit of the uh, NBA. Obviously, is kind of in full swing right now. We're in the in tournament phase, which I don't really know what's going on. I don't think anybody else knows what's going on, except the fact that they're painting the courts whatever the fuck colors that they want, which is really weird. I just, I don't like it. I don't like it. I can do, I can do jerseys. I can do jerseys. Jerseys are fine. You just switch it up a little bit. It's not the, you know, it's not a permanent solution and stuff like that, but the courts, eh, they're weirding me the out. It's hard to keep track, especially if the home team is the same color as the floor, it's, it's almost like a a boise state but for every single game um yeah i don't like it i don't like it very much but hey you know what if it gets the majority of the people that do like it i mean it, i get it it is change it is something that's changing and makes it look a little bit different it's not like a permanent thing maybe like kind of like jerseys you know like they're just going to do it like it's a temporary thing, but I don't know. Not a big fan of it. Um, again, don't really know what's going on in the in-season tournament, but um, I do know that they're playing some basketball, and I do know that the Clippers are not playing good basketball right now ever since trading for Harden. They are still on a, currently on a six-game losing streak. I don't think that's entirely on James Harden right now, but I will say Tyrone Lue probably did get put it in the best way and probably in the most professional coach way he could, but basically said that James Harden isn't meshing because he doesn't fit the small ball lineup, which Tyron Lou loves small ball. He loves small ball. I mean, he was a point guard. He's a little bit on the smaller scale of stuff. And anyth- anytime you've seen him coach Cavaliers, Clippers, he's loved small ball. So, and he said Harden doesn't miss... Harden doesn't fit the small ball format due to his basically what he said overweight and uh, and the fact that he's not in shape. So that was kind of funny. That was really really funny to kind of laugh at um, because it's very true. And and that and that's the thing with this team. It's like you actually kind of need some one of these guys: James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. You need one of these guys to come off the bench. You need somebody else that's a glue guy. You don't need a bunch of the all those egos. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the crowd. I get it. I'm preaching to the crowd. Everybody knows this. But you've got to have one of them come off the bench. And my choice is probably James Harden. But I know during a crucial time, there was a viral video that came out of Russell Westbrook shrugging his shoulders after he was being called to sub out towards the end of the game, which is typically when you have your best players then if they're not fouled out. So, it's going to be really 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 fun to watch the Clippers just deteriorate or maybe Tyron Lue just comes out goes coach of the year mode, you know, and gets them all to play with each other. I don't believe in him, but maybe he proves me wrong. Who knows? All right, um, other things that's going on on the James Harden track. Uh, Philly seems to be doing just fine without him. They are 8-2, and two, sitting tied with Boston as far as two losses, only having two losses go in the East. So, yeah, uh, Tyrese Maxey, baller, a baller, obviously, Smart, smart choice to get him more touches and, you know, trade out James Harden. Worked out really, really well. I, I feel like that that three, Tyrese Maxey, uh, Tobias Harris, and, of course, Joel Embiid. Really good th- uh, trio. I think you can ride off of that for quite some time. So, and especially the way that Maxey's been improving his game. Uh, yeah, I... I roll the dice with that all year long. Hopefully, no one gets injured from it. They're exciting to watch. Uh, our Pelicans, uh, they're about five and four right now. Don't look bad. They kind of, they can get up for some big games. They just beat Dallas not so, uh last game. So obviously, Dallas is really good t- top team, top tier team in the league. So like when we put it all together, we can really really make some noise. I mean, we got, obviously, C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson. Um, I do like a lot of th- kind of the couple of pieces that are coming together. Herb Jones is still that glue guy for us, which is what you need. You definitely need a glue guy and somebody who can play some outstanding defense. I really love our draft pick, Jordan Haw- Hawkins. I loved him whenever we drafted him. Uh, Played phenomenal ball at at UConn. Won the national championship, of course. And is just a straight up shooter. Definitely what we need. Big time what we need. Probably for like the last 10 years. If I'm being real honest with you. But straight baller. Love what he's bringing to the team. I think he can bring some more of that aspect. Dyson Daniels is doing really good. I'm really wondering how his mom's doing. But um, yeah. Other than that. Um, oh. Last NBA tidbit I did want to touch up on. We did have a nice, good WWE fight with the Timberwolves and the Warriors. Uh, <laughs> that, that was really, really fun where Draymond, Draymond Green put Rudy Gobert in a headlock. If you haven't seen that, it is hysterical. It, they're definitely bringing the 90s back. They're definitely bringing the 90s back. Maybe if that's that's the thing, they're bringing 90s back in fashion and also on the basketball court. It could be. I don't know. Maybe I maybe I cracked the code. Who knows? But yeah, that was really, really funny. I, the thing I have to say about this is this. We've already said, we've already seen a couple of instances with Draymond Green acting up, um, lashing out, probably is a better term, getting in fights. If Draymond Green, or better yet, if the WWE doesn't reach out to Draymond Green and sign him for a contract, and we don't see like him versus Logan Paul situation on WWE, I think it's a huge missed opportunity for the WWE. I I mean, just imagine like throwing Draymond Green out there. I mean, dude, he would love he would love the solos. He would love the little the monologues with, you know, talking into the mic to the crowd in between, like, fights or whatever they do, the planned stage WWE stuff. Ah, I can see Draymond thriving in something like that. And then we all know he loves to fight. He'd be right at home. I don't know. Look, just pitching ideas, just my opinion. But alrighty. Well, I think that wraps up everything that we wanted to talk about. I know I've been saying we, uh, me and Josh Josh still did put implement a lot of the background game planning that we do onto the show and the topics that we discuss, so we is very appropriate for this, but um, I'm glad you put up with me for an entire hour. Can't believe I actually did talk for an entire an hour, but uh, yeah. Appreciate you listening in on the show. Keep listening. Hopefully we'll have Josh back by next week. Uh, Odds are I'm probably going to bet that he will be back. But y'all have a good night. Love y'all. Later.